I was thinking I could be kind of the, like the layman who doesn't know anything and I could be like, well, can you, can you expand on, can you tell me what exactly you're talking about here? Because sometimes I listen to your show and then you say something like, oh, well, because uh, Olivia's doing so-and-so and I'll be like, what are they doing? You know, like, what, what are, I want to know, like, back up. What is that part you said? What you're hearing is the track I'm the Best Dancer from DJ Doug Pound's 2009 record, Pound It. Hello. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. Today on the podcast, we're having on Doug Lessenhop also known as DJ Doug Pound. Now, Abby and I, personally speaking, have been big fans of Doug for a long time. We were aware of his role in Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job, very early on. And Doug is mainly credited usually as an editor. But merely calling him an editor for the shows that he's worked on is not doing justice how much he actually does. His editing style goes above and beyond what you would consider normal editing, where he's actually basically deconstructing video clips and turning them into completely new compositions, as he did for Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job on multiple occasions. But he also does regular editing sometimes as well. And editing is not the only thing Doug does for these various comedy shows. Shows like Tom Goes to the Mayor, the Eric Andre Show, Portlandia, and of course, Tim and Eric's awesome show, great job. He also writes and directs his own shows, and he's also directed episodes of some of the shows that I just mentioned. He also has over six full-length music albums out under the name DJ Doug Pound. But the newest thing that Doug's done that I wanted to name drop is the drop concert motion picture which if you've watched the podcast office hours and you know about doug's drops this is basically an entire musical performance constructed mostly of vic burgers and doug's drops cut together like a concert video and it's fantastic and i recommend everybody check that out you can still rent it now on vimeo.com and you can access it at officialofficehours.com slash drop concert so let's get straight into our interview with dj doug pound i have to start by asking where the name doug pound came from because what are you swedish what what's what's (laughs) Uh, yeah both of my parents have swedish parents i guess but the last name i think is german i don't know i'm just like basically i'm white i did the uh the 23 and me hoping to hoping to be some the be something cool in the mix not cool whatever i mean <laughs> just something i wouldn't expect and um it's exactly what my family said i'm like polish german and swedish so you come from the midsummer the doug pound is not Plan. a swedish it's not a swedish family name that is um uh, that's just like a nickname i gave myself 
because you know when you first when e- when you first got your first email, people would like write something. It would be like a it would be like a funny handle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what was your first email? Altoid girl. See. <laughs> <laughs> See, you should be Altoid Girl. That should be <laughs> at AOL.com. Yeah, mine stuck for decades. So mine was like Doug <laughs> Pound. So Somebody was like showing me how to do a Hotmail account. And I was like, oh, you just make, you just, you don't write your name. You know, you come up with something goofy. Right. <laughs> like Monkey <laughs> Boy, Monkey Boy 69 or something. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, like maybe uh, Dog Pound, the the CD was laying around or something. And I was like, oh, Doug, Doug Pound. It just came to my head, and it's then genius. somebody, and then somebody, um, <laughs> this guy. Do you know who Weasel Walter is? Robbie no. might know. It Just sounds a, like um, some kind of bro- prog rock person or a, or Doctor Demento. I but I don't know him. <laughs> he's an absolutely absolutely a prog rock okay um, okay. Rocker. I guessed correctly. Anyway, he, <laughs> this was like when I lived in Chicago. He he saw me on the sidewalk. He's like, oh, it's Doug Pound. Because, like, he got an email from me because I emailed into this magazine called Lumpen Times that is uh, is right up you guys' alley. It's sort of a anarchist, um, political kind of culture, fun magazine that's still going in Chicago. Nice. Anyway, I uh, so then he called me that, and then people just started calling me that. So I was like, okay, I guess that's just my, that's my DJ name now because I was trying to be a dj or something i i like that it stuck robbie i just realized that my first screen name was b- the bonus sixty nine sixty nine. it was like a troll screen name that i created <laughs> it was a good one i wish i kept that shit bonus sixty nine sixty nine. it was really classic classic aol shit chat rooms baby aol was like the start for a lot of us and like maybe because it was so strict Remember how like easy it was to get like penalized on AOL? Like if you would swear, even you can get like reported. Like so, that's like what we kind of grew up on was like the really sanitized internet. Were you on AOL, Doug, at the beginning? I never had the AOL, um, like the email, but I had the messenger. Okay. Yeah. Aim. A I M. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was your first internet experience? Were you on like uh, Sierra Online? Like, where did you get on the net? (laughs) <laughs> probably netscape you know okay okay so you were on the real i was World late Wide i Web. was yeah i was late <laughs> i was late to the game on like everything technology except you have a youtube videos that are on your channel they're like 14 years old that's pretty that's pretty <laughs> remarkable actually so well, i guess uh i guess youtube i was i got in early because i was already making videos and that was a place to put them online because we used yeah, to put them sure. like we used to we used to just upload them like a a dot move to our web page or something, mm-hmm. you know, so you would have to have the link that you can watch it like that. And then, yeah, I guess I was early to YouTube, but I didn't really turn it. I'm not like a YouTuber. Maybe I should be, <laughs> but you had, um, I mean, you had some really early and I don't know what exactly what your role is. Cause I just learned this today that you were involved or collaborated on those like early GI Joe PSA videos. And those like that's like pre YouTube, right? I was like, what? Where were those hosted? Yeah, so that's that's what I'm talking about. When we we put them on heavengallery.com slash 
you know, body massage dot move or whatever, like, <laughs> which is the best. And then like, they that's cra- my favorite and one, then actually. they, yeah, they like went viral before, like, I think viral was like a word or like, you know, like a thing because they crashed our server. Oh shit. Somehow they got, oh, they got out. But my, my friend, Eric, uh, Fensler, I, he was like a friend of mine and I, I worked with him and we would stay late at this place where we worked, we were like dubbing tapes and kind of doing editing like shitty PR company videos and like news packages, like really non, not creative stuff, but like this was a job you did back in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Around the year 2000, I guess, 2000, 2001. And, um, yeah, this is I th- I don't think there was Final Cut Pro like home editing systems weren't really a thing at that point or maybe they were but I didn't have one. So we would stay late and edit our own little funny videos and stuff. Like and on Eric a digital these, editor? Uh, was yeah, it like, like a workstation or how are you doing that? Oh, that was on Avid. Okay, so they had an actual Avid system. You you were making so you made the GI Joe videos on an Avid system. We did those on <laughs> Avid, yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. And like I knew the Avid, Eric didn't really know the Avid, so he had me edit the first four, and I did some voices for him. I think it was body massage and the one where the kids at the carnival. Beautiful. And oh, where uh, the one where um, the power line is down. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I think I said, "Hey, man, what's that thing, man?" And then he goes, "Let's launch over it." Yeah. So basically, we did those. And then I was living at this art gallery, Heaven Gallery. HeavenGallery.com is still it's still there. Um, just my friend's kind of like DIY gallery in Chicago. I would do like video screening nights where I would show my videos and the GI Joe videos, and that was just like my, you know, there was no YouTube and there was not really, there was maybe E Bombs World or things like that. But anyway, college humor. I don't know <laughs> if com. I'm answering. <laughs> yeah, college humor, heavy.com. Did those yep. places uh like get permission from you guys to to host those on their site or did you upload them? Like how did they end up getting on those kind of websites? Like like Ebomb's world. Yeah, cuz I thought that was just like an aggregate. Ebomb just stole them. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it was Eric's project and yeah. He'd have to I mean, I've I don't want to speak for him, but this is what happened. He they just took him and put him on there, and he, and then Hasbro actually sent him a cease and desist. Whoa! <laughs> um, but that was before. I mean, nowadays, imagine getting a cease and desist for like making a TikTok video. Like, yeah, it's just crazy. To that's just not a thing. It's just everything is just whatever it's sampled and ripped mm-hmm. off and reposted. It, now it's just so common, but like back then they actually sent him a cease and desist and he's like, it's taking a life of its own. E-bomb has them. These other places yeah. would post them. The weird thing about that too is like, I remember when those came out, like people had not even been thinking about G.I. Joe for a long time and it almost like popularized or like made people remember G.I. Joe again. Like you you guys might even had some effect on like the G.I. Joe movie coming into existence. Like I truly believe <laughs> that. So it's funny that Hasbro would sue you because that was like some of the best advertising they got for G.I. Joe, like in the early 2000s. Right? I know. 
I know all these all these places that want you you to take their mu- your mu- their music off your video or something or off your I think it happens on podcasts where we get flagged for playing a, a song that happens on office hours, but it's like, dude, well, you know, here's a few thousand people that are hearing about your music now for free. It's not like yeah. it's not like there's money to be. It's not like we're making a ton of money. It's not like a, we're putting it in a movie or something. It's just like yeah, no, it's like free we're advertising exposing. For them. Yeah, it's free advertising. Right. So yeah, anyway, dude. it's dumb. I don't know why they do that. I I just read this also today on the on your Wikipedia page. So forgive me if this is completely inaccurate. But you, did you also have like some serious video art as opposed to some of this like parody stuff you were doing around the same time? Like it, it, I read that you had something like in the MoMA Museum in New York. Was what kind of stuff was that? Yeah, I did. They were funny videos. Um, okay. <laughs> basically, I was taking found footage. And kind of re-editing it to be funny. So at that place where I had that job, um, I would do these news packages. They're called VNRs, a video news release. Yeah, I know what that shit is. So you know when you see those those supercuts where there's a bunch of local TV people and they're all saying the same thing. The Easter Bunny lost its step this year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I would edit those or I would edit the what? package and I would send those and they would mail them to news. So here's how it worked. Gatorade. <laughs> wanted free ad- <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So some kid dies of dehydration in like <laughs> Tennessee or something. Right. Yeah. So Gator- Gatorade is like, I see dollar signs. We're going to make this a news story about how kids need to be hydrated. So they'll make a news story and they'll talk to some expert and the expert will say, um, kids need to, you know, be safe this summer and they should, they should be hydrated. And one way to stay hydrated is, is a a sports drink such as Gatorade, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like putting ads into these news You're watching news, but it's an advertisement. Right, right. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's secretly an advertisement. Yeah, they're so like you were broadcast like, by you were PR a propagandist, firms. Doug. Yeah, no, this I is was crazy. a propagandist, and I <laughs> you're felt a corporate terrible about it, hiding shit into actual <laughs> newsroom. You're you're a horrible person. <laughs> I know. Well, I felt like shit. It was like a soul sucking job that I hated. So after work, I would like take the footage and like recut it and make it all like absurd. <laughs> so I took this. I took this one. I'm trying to remember which I there was one for the beef council about like Memorial Day's coming up and what's your favorite hamburger and there would be like this these interviews with people talking about their favorite hamburgers and I took I took people talking about their favorite hamburgers and I time stretched them so they sound <laughs> like they're drunk and they're like my favorite <laughs> burger has feta cheese on it and you could still see so that one I don't know how somebody tipped me off. They're like, oh, there's a video. You know, your videos are good. You should submit it to this art show. So I submitted. I mailed a couple VHS tapes to PS1. I don't know if that's part of MoMA or Mocha or whatever in New York. And they've they've showed two of them in this, like, video art um, uh, show. That's amazing. And so the the you didn't get in trouble with your job 
like mocking the BNRs and stuff. Oh, I was so scared. I was like, <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't know. There was no, you know, there was no social media or anything. This was like around the year 2000 or something. You could still get Dude, away with shit so like that back crazy. then. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to be a video artist. <laughs> but like they were, they were funny to me I was just making funny videos. So yeah, yeah one right. of them, one of them was about Gatorade moms talking about, they're saying these, uh, clearly like the producer is like, say this, you know, right. so they're, they're delivering it and like my kid, I don't know what I want my kid to stay hydrated. What should he drink? And they're, you know, they're saying these clearly like parroted back, you know, little <laughs> questions that the producer is feeding them. Cause I have all the raw footage. I can like see. What Dude, they're... you need to push this shit together or like publish these now. This is so surreal. I mean, when I first found out about VNRs, I was like shocked cause it's just the most unethical thing ever uh, to prepackage these ads. And then there's nowhere actually describing that it's sponsored by anyone or any or whatever. And so it's like you, you tend to trust local news. And so you're watching like the local news and you're like, Oh shit. Like, I guess Gatorade is really good for hydration. (laughs) I know. And I got, I I felt like, I felt like uh, miserable. Like I hated my job. (laughs) I, you know, I was like this, what, you know, it was like one of those things where you're trapped, where like you're, you're like in your twenties and you're like, this is my job and I'm going check to check and I can't really quit. And I, I just felt like trapped and I just was trying, dying to get out of that situation. Capitalism, baby. Well, I mean, it led you to doing, you know, mocking them, which then led you to realize that you wanted to be a video editor. So I guess it all makes sense. You should thank the VNR industry for setting you on the right life track, Doug. Yeah. I mean, in a way it was great because I got really good at editing just because, uh, just because uh, I liked it and I was having fun and experimenting, and so then I just I got good at editing by, by you know having that job and playing around with the footage after work and making these videos, and then when I moved to LA, I was like, I thought I was gonna be a, I thought everyone else was gonna be like really good, but it turned out like I was like very well qualified. yeah yeah like Like you thought you'd be in a sea of people doing like the same type of like you'd be like low on the ladder or list (laughs) of editors that people would want yeah and it turns out it's i don't know not to honk my own horn but i was kind of like i was i was a good editor (laughs) and it's hard to find in in the comedy world somebody who's got like the timing or the skills or someone who's got the knack for that kind of thing. Yeah. And then when I met Tim and Eric, I was like an intern, but then I just started helping out and I, I just was like, I can do all this stuff. And I just started doing mm-hmm. it. And they're like, Oh, we got to hire him. So it was because I had like lived in Chicago doing this shit job. It was kind of like boot camp, you know, for what I wanted to do. So, I mean, it sounds like just even being in the news industry, like, doing edits of the of the material that you're also supposed to like be editing for seriously like as part of the job seems like it would give you sort of a leg up just in terms of like your skill level of being able to do this kind of stuff i mean even like i can't i'm trying to think of like how many funny editors there are out there and i can't think of very many besides you 
Well, you got Vic Berger, big Vic. Well, Berger, Vic Berger, yeah, he's a new guy. We're gonna we're gonna talk yeah, about yeah, him no. later. Yeah, <laughs> but but so now, I mean, so now you're in tight, you know, with the boys. You're part of the Holy Trinity. Take us back a little bit. You said you interned for Tim and Eric. How did you meet them originally? Describe the situation. Who was sort of the alpha in that in that <laughs> duo at the time? Because like I would imagine it's Tim. But then I'm sort of like imagining how physically imposing and like large Eric is, you know, even though it's sort of like a gentle giant, he comes out that way. Like, what was it like meeting them? How did you start with them? And was it Tom goes to the mayor that you originally started interning? Yeah, it was Tom goes to the mayor. I answered one Craigslist ad that said uh, comedy. It said comedy show wants a, an intern. And I'm like, I got to get my foot in the door somewhere. And I answered it. And their assistant wrote back, and the only reason she wrote back was because I was from Chicago, and she's like, oh, I'm from Chicago, too, so we have something. It was like that kind of thing, where she's like, maybe she had a vibe from me that would kind of like have a shared history or something. So, um, yeah, so, well, before that, I moved to L.A. with dreams of working on a comedy TV show. I was a big fan of like Mr. Show. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that ended up working out. And then, oh yeah. So their assistant called me and she's like, yeah, there's a show. It's produced by this guy, Bob Odenkirk. And I'm thinking, what the what? hell are the chances? That's insane, dude. Yeah. I'm like, this is the exact guy I want to be like. So you knew nothing with. about it when you responded to this ad. You didn't even know it was an on adult swim or anything like that, or or was it? No, I didn't even know what I mean, my friend told me about adult swim. I didn't really I wasn't into the adult mm-hmm. swim like I wasn't watching adult swim for yeah. some reason. It was just like not in my orbit yet. I came in, I gave them a DVD of like my stuff, and Eric was the super like we hit it off right away. We were just like he was super friendly and um, he was really cool. And Tim was more standoffish. <laughs> all biz. It was all business. I Well, I think Tim is more like, I got to get to know someone before I'm going to be like. Of course. I mean, he's just like a no bullshit guy, you know? Yeah. No bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So was he like, was it, were you a little bit intimidated by Tim at first when you first started, started this process? Well, I mean, they weren't anyone I've, they were just two guys, you know, sure. I didn't know yeah. who they you know, I was just like, here's a show I could intern on. And and then Eric was showing me um, the show. It was Tom Goes to the Mayor. I was like, oh, this is cool. These guys are doing something weird. You know, like, they're doing weird stuff. And then we hit it off right away. Like, our sensibilities were, like, very similar. So. That's amazing. I remember seeing you, Tim and Eric, in San Diego during Comic-Con, like, got it, like, 15 years ago now. Um it was when Tom Goes to the Mayor was on, which was really interesting that you were really into Mr. Show. It's like, this shit doesn't even like happen anymore like this. Like you moved to LA and now it's it's just amazing that you actually just immediately started working on a show that Bob Odenkirk was producing. Yeah. Like Tim mailed these copies of an early version of Tom, Tom Goes to the Mayor to Bob Odenkirk and he was like, okay, I'll, I'm going to be like an executive producer on this project, which is such a cool thing to get validated by someone like him. Um and so you were involved at the very beginning working on Tom Goes to the Mayor, credited as an editor. But were, like, so were you kind of given the freedom to be experimental with it? Like, how did that evolve? Um, were you just able to creatively play around with stuff 
on the show or what? Well, before I answer that, I will say I didn't go to LA and immediately work on there. I spent a okay. year, a dark, depressing <laughs> year where I had like, I didn't know anybody. Like I knew one, I'm not a real go-getter as far as like, you know, meeting, I'm kind of shy or something. I'm, you know, I'm not really a mover and a shaker in that way. Um, so I had, I worked, my friend got me a job at playboy.com. So I worked at playboy.com uploading Doing software what? porn for a year. Uh, what? Are you serious? <laughs> <Yeah>. Uploading? <laughs> Just like cataloging it all? Did you do any like um, blemish well, I would editing? Take, I, I did a little bit of this and that, but I did, I would take these like, um, their videos, which were mostly softcore remnants of like the nineties and cut them down into like web sized three minute chunks. And it was really the very brainless, not creative editing that I, I got, but it was, a, <laughs> I'm glad I'm thankful for that job. Cause it, you know, paid my rent while I, you know, when I first moved there, my friend got me a job there and then there's worse jobs. And then definitely after here. about a year of that, I was super miserable. Like, this yeah. is not what I moved to LA to do. I'm trying to like do. I want to get yeah. into biz. I want to at least do get some stuff. hardcore porn. I mean, Jesus, watching which I got. Porn I, I I got an opportunity to do a little bit of that. <laughs> nice. And then it was like, then it was like rock bottom. Then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I go from PR VNRs, meat council sponsored, you know, nightmare videos to like hardcore porn. I'm like, I gotta get. I gotta get out of here. Was yeah. there any? Was anything interesting about even having the raw footage of hardcore porn, or was it just mostly boring? Like in the end, like it was one. I it was only one video that I had to do like that. That was like near the end of my tenure. I think they were like slowly working me up to the to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing. Rem- nothing. Re- nothing. I could really say about that one video it was more like this is gross i just kind of slapped it together so it seems like most of your credits are for editing but i feel like that's sort of like a a bait and switch because you you seem to do more than just what someone would typically be credited for for editing and i'm just wondering if i'm if i'm right about this because <laughs> it seems like for example like your work on the eric andre show I don't maybe tell us like what you know what kind of editing you do for that do you do some of this like the regular assembly cuts for for the regular show sections because it seems like I I see or I feel your editing style the most in some of those like bird up some of the weirder like in between sketches like and that seems more than just like normal editing it seems like you're actually doing you know it's kind of like I don't know how to describe it it's just like almost like glitched out like you're almost like creating more than editing. So is that accurate to say that sometimes you're, you're stepping over that line of doing like more, like a lot more than what a traditional editor would do? Or do you not even do like traditional editing for the Eric Andre show? Cause it's, it's kind of hard to Google tell. It, Google it. <laughs> Google it. Google it. What is wrong with you, dude? I have an Abby. I have an Abby drop. That's fucking great. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um yeah for eric (laughs) yeah for eric i mean um yeah that show is just fun as hell to edit because there's like i kind of took what i did with tim and eric and 
applied it to his style and yeah you just gotta it's a the show is 11 minutes long it's fast moving um and yeah i did do bird up and that 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 sketch wasn't even called bird up it was just called like eric on the street with a green green (laughs) bodysuit but then i think he said bird he just was like you know he's just riffing and he says this show's called bird up and i think he was like saying this show's this show's this this is the worst show on television and I think I just took took him when he said bird up and I was like I kind of like used that as like a hook and I kept like repeating it and repeating it <laughs> and you know sometimes you just go crazy with it and um luckily I work with people like Eric and Tim and Eric who are like yeah that's what we like just the crazier the better and um then it's really fun you know I'm pitch shifting audio and like using crazy sound effects and yeah, I don't know what the question was, but well, I get no. You answered I'm pigeonholed. It. I'm like the guy that does that stuff. So yeah, yeah. No, no one's gonna hire me to edit their feature, even though I totally can do that. If anyone's listening, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no. You did answer. I don't, I'm not gonna like take your footage and like <laughs> turn it into a bird up. You know, it's not like I can't take a, 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 a people talking and put them together. <laughs> Well, no, you totally answered. You totally answered the question, Doug. Because I mean, oh it sounds like you do a lot more than what a normal editor does. So it's interesting to see the way you're credited on some of this stuff. Because like someone who hasn't watched it would just be like, "Oh, this guy just does the editing." But it's like you, you're actually like part of the creative process, like far more than just like editing. You know, these things together. It sounds like. Yeah, like like Tim and Eric's awesome show was so groundbreaking in a lot of ways and paved so much for comedy stuff now. And like all like everything on Adult Swim, I feel like is just like copying that, and it really just set this new genre of sketch comedy. But I don't think people understand that your editing style is what like drove that in particular. It's like that is the comedy. Um, it's just really fucking amazing. Like I remember seeing that Oh Mama sketch <laughs> where it's just Tim and Eric banging shit in the basement, and it just turns into a song. And I just thought it was like the best thing I've ever seen in my life when I saw that. I was like, this is fucking insane. Well, uh, yeah, but- <laughs> that's a classic example of like something that they had this whole thing sketch written out, and then they kind of gave it to me like it doesn't really work or something. Mm-hmm. So then I, yeah, I, I. I made the, I started, I took like GarageBand and found a loop and kind of altered it a little bit and then, yeah, repeated <laughs> like this thing. And then that's how that came about. Cause I think they started smashing the set. Cause even while they're shooting it, they're like, this sucks. Let's, <laughs> you know, they're frustrated. And then, yeah, I mean, that's how that, that came about. That's fucking was great. like taking something that didn't work and just making it work in a new way. And that's what I like to do. And that's what I, I mean, that, that's what makes me laugh. And that's just part of the job is like making each other laugh. But I guess and, um, the term editor just doesn't doesn't do it justice. I mean, because it's so much more than that. Like you really are setting so much. Um, and like speaking of being on set, it must be fun to just be on set with these people. Like Eric Andre, I just watched the Bad Trip movie. It was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> um, I mean, it really does seem like he is doing this crazy shit none of it really seems staged at all. Like it seems very genuine. Um, I don't know how, how much you've been like a part of that, that stuff where he's actually like pranking real people, but have you ever had the chance to sit down in one of the, 
one of those things and how intense is it? Um, I got to pop in the set um, a little bit and that's something that after doing working on shows for like 10 years really got me burnt out on editing because I'd be in my room kind of by myself, kind of very isolated um, as you're kind of very isolated as an editor. You're like in there by yourself all day. And then, um, yeah, you go on set and everyone's like this community. There's like this little family and they all know each other and they all have nicknames. And then, you know, at the end of the day, they're all clapping like we did it. And I'm sitting there by myself and it got lonely and kind of, um, um, yeah, I guess I kind of got burnt out and I felt kind of FOMO when I was like on the set and thinking like, I wish I was around more people. (laughs) This is kind of lonely. Uh, but yeah, I, I did beg them. I was like, let me just direct a few things. And, um, Katow, the director of Eric Andre's show, let me direct a couple, a couple bits. Which the one ones? where this one where Eric is drinking gas and he's at the gas station. Oh, oh shit. Like, Dad, Daddy needs his juice. <laughs> like I pitched that idea to him. I'm like, you should just be like it. Cause that happened to me. I was at a gas station and this guy is like, can I just get a squirt? And he, had, he had like an empty gas can and he had like no teeth. And he's like, can I just get a little squirt? I'm like, Oh my God, dude. That's insane. You, 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 you're a gas guy. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, Eric, you just got to be this guy. That's like, can I get a squirt? <laughs> anyway, um, I, I digress. I don't know what I'm talking about, but that was fun. Did you ever actually experience Eric doing like one of those really intense, like, like pranking a celebrity? Cause it seemed, I mean, like there's been episodes where he's like just t- whipped out his dick and like just peed in a cup, like during like, <laughs> an interview, like had you ever been around Eric where he did anything like that unexpected? Or if he did anything like that around you, were, were you already in on it? Like how did you ever experience any of that craziness uh, from him? I think, I think, yeah, I did go on set a few times when he's in the, on the set I think I was there when he was doing the Lou Ferrigno one. Oh shit! <laughs> the guy just comes and sits and, next to him. <laughs> oh my god, Lou Ferrigno was not having that. It was so intense, and Katow uh, kept telling that guy to go back out there and sit next to Lou. I was like, "This is, this is intense." It was like kind of scary almost. He's like, "Don't sit next to me. Don't touch me." And then like that guy had a little in ear, like a. You know, a little microphone in his ear, and I think Katal, the director, might have been like, "Do it again, go do it." <laughs> <Holy shit. laughs> if I yeah. remember correctly, and I'm like, "Oh my god, he's doing it! This is so scary." <laughs> it's the Hulk. <laughs> that is like one of the scariest ones I've seen. Actually, I, I had imagined that. Then he also did one with the guy from like I think it was one of the guys from The Sopranos, where he like just started like climbing on him and like humping him. <laughs> I don't. Re- and that. Oh yeah, it was. Uh... <laughs> oh, what's his name? Is it Bobby Bacala from the uh, Sopranos, maybe? <laughs> yeah. But he had um, this guy, um, Pat Regan. He, like, works on the show. He he has no problem getting naked. And I think Bobby Bacala had a, he had a pasta sauce company. <laughs> and he's like, tell me about your pasta sauce. And then, like, the dude comes out naked, and he's, like, dips his dick in the pasta sauce and does, like, an ad. And he's like, why are you doing that, man? <laughs> 
You know, he's like really disappointed. Yeah, yeah I remember that. He's like, just come like, on, he's man. like, why are you doing that, dude? That is pretty disrespectful, though. <laughs> Gotta admit. God damn. It's good advertising, dude. I mean, yeah, it's they don't give a fuck. Like, I, I'm like worried for them sometimes that someone's. I mean, like the guy who like pulled out the knife in the Bad Trip movie. He's like chasing them with a knife. Um, oh yeah, shit can get scary. I think at the end of the day, those the celebrities. I mean, maybe they're 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 kind of like playing it up a little bit. They know something yeah. crazy is going to go down. Yeah, yeah. But once in a while, they don't. They don't. They do not do their research. They're just like, oh, I'm going to be on a TV show. Okay. <laughs> I'll show up at the time at the designated time. I'm not going to do yeah. any research. Yeah, they're like deal. They're just like, oh, just excited that someone like recognizes them. They're like, all right, got yeah, a gig. Yeah, it's usually like it's usually like a reality star or something. Yeah, totally. People. I mean, I would almost fire my management if they like led me into a situation like that, and I trusted. <laughs> like, <laughs> now you host a podcast with Brett. I, I, I was going to say Brett Weinstein, Brent. Weinbach <laughs> called the Poundcast. Uh, you also do comedy sketches together under Poundhouse. I mean, this is it's just the funniest fucking duo. You guys work so well together. It is absolutely amazing. I encourage everyone to check it out. I mean, talk about how you guys met and how do you put these shows together because some of these sketches are just absolutely ingenious and some of them are just really fucking bizarre. Well, thank you. Um, I met Brent maybe around 2007 or so at a comedy show. He was living in SF, and um, he he was in L.A. at this show, The Midnight Show, which takes place at midnight. And I was like, oh, he's right up my alley. Like, his vibe and his... he's If you've never seen Brent Weinbach, you got to check out his... One of his specials you can watch on Amazon, or his comedy specials are out there, too. Anyway, I was like... This guy's great. He's super weird. He's kind of experimental. It's kind of like I was doing, I do stand up as DJ Doug Bound. It's kind of experimental sound effects. And, um, you know, anyway, I, I just, that's when I met him. And then years and years went by. And then one day we were like, we should just make a short. You know, we have all, we always keep talking about all these ideas. And then we just shot a short one day shot a short then, did he move to la yeah at that he's from la so he, at that oh, point okay. he was living here for a while back back in in town and then yeah it just this is not a, in, that interesting of a story but basically <laughs> we shot this we shot this short i didn't think it was any good you know when we shot it so it's the kind of thing where i sat on the footage for like six months because i just wasn't inspired by it i didn't think it was that good and he's like just you should just finish that. Just and I was like, all right, I'll get back into it. And then I I cut it together. But then when I started to like put the sound effects and music over it, I was like, this has kind of got a cool vibe to it. This is cool. And then I showed Tim and Eric, and then they were doing this thing called Jash. And they were like, oh, this should be a show on Jash. Jash is like a YouTube channel, right? Yeah. So we got a, we actually had a budget. So then we had a tiny budget to make six episodes on Jash. And then, uh, yeah, that was, then we did three, three seasons of like six episodes or something like that. And, uh, yeah, like that's probably my favorite thing I've done of all the things I've done maybe that are my, my thing. So, yeah, I mean, we're trying to get that going again. Brent, I haven't seen him in a while cause he's, he's already kind of, 
a germaphobe and then the pandemic hit. So who knows when that'll come back, but hopefully that'll come back soon. I can did see you guys that. get this? Did you guys get the vaccine? No, I anti-vax. got. I, you're anti-vax. I did. I didn't. My brother's anti-vax. I'm an anti-vaxxer. My brother's anti-vax. I got. I got it. I'm vaxxed, daddy. Are you really anti-vax, Robbie? No, I'm not. I mean, I'm not anti-vax, but I'm definitely like not thrilled about what I'm hearing about it. But that has nothing to do with why I haven't gotten it yet. Actually, I just we. It's been hard to get on the the list out here. They finally just started giving them to people. Like that have no pre-existing conditions or whatever. Yeah, yesterday. Are you? I, I, I didn't get one. I, I, I am not. I. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or I don't want to be aligned with any of that anti-science stuff. But it does, you know, it does seem a little bit like, how did, how did, they, how did they make it so quick and rush it out? <laughs> how how yeah, come there's no, I'm, like, I'm with you there. how come there's no herpes vax or common cold vax at this point? But they can make this one in a year. Hmm. Yeah, it just makes me go. It's definitely huh. yeah. It's definitely rolled out <laughs> quick. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I That's felt all. like enough people were guinea pigs before I did it, but I I did it because I I don't know. I just don't want my uh, my kid to get sick. I guess I'm thinking about him, but um. Yeah, no, I I definitely wasn't like ex- overjoyed to line up, you know, and and be the first one but um yeah i just did it recently and feel great I'll yeah, i'm let sure you know if fine. anything happens i'm sure it's fine i'm gonna get it i'll get I'll it i'll let you know if my vagina falls off <laughs> i didn't want to lie i didn't want to be a lot of my friends were like yeah i have a i have a i'm a child care worker and they're and they're they're not at all you know <laughs> a lot of people juke the system it was very easy to but i mean it is it is interesting how much like societal or just like pressure there feels like right now in the in when you even discuss this, even just questioning any aspect of it. Like I'm, I feel the pressure of like being labeled as an anti-vaxxer just for bringing that up. Yeah, you can't even ask a question. What's wrong with asking yeah. a question? It's and that's a, honestly like I just become a serious problem because it's like what even on our podcast it's like just talking about it will mm-hmm. you know will they pull our uh, YouTube channel will they will Patreons flag us like what it just kind of creates this sort of gray area now where you don't know what how you know how much you can question something oh until me you get like, so am I going to get your, your episode pulled just by like yeah dude you asking you do that you took it over the edge saying yeah. I'm slightly. <laughs> Yeah, mildly, see? I'm gonna no. get the jab when I can, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, makes you go, huh? That's all. Yeah, but yeah. you shouldn't feel. I mean, they throw all that shit away. You know, they're just tossing it all in the trash. So don't feel bad about lying if you really want to get it. But yeah, no, it's crazy that the <laughs> onus is on us. It's like it. The solution is just individualized now because the government has failed so dramatically. So it's just like, all right, the only way we're gonna get over this hump is if everyone gets vaccinated. That's really where we're at like you know i mean like china china you don't need to fucking get vaccinated because covid is like not a thing there anymore so it's just crazy because they uh they nipped it in the bud how did they do that in china they did uh quarantine like uh they did quarantine immediately and they also did like door-to-door help from the government to deliver people groceries and all that stuff and like assist old people and like didn't force people to go out so they could get over the hump uh, 
So they had they stood by everyone's door. They they military <laughs> at gunpoint and forced them to stay in. The armed robot dogs right. in like the surveillance drones were right. shooting lasers the door, at bit. anyone. <laughs> they get vaporized like in War of the Worlds. I also think just that society in general. It's like they there have been so many other pandemics just in China. Right. Like SARS was such a a big deal when it happened there that it's like people. Even if the government wasn't as draconian as it is, like people would still probably respond, you know, a lot more responsibly than we would just in general, because it's like they've they already know what it's like. And SARS had such like a high death right, rate too right. compared to this that, you know, it makes sense. And I think other Asian countries, like even Taiwan was doing fantastic, uh, Japan. Oh yeah. You know, people wear masks when they get it cold there. So it's like it's kind of almost baked into like just the way they behave yeah, normally. Yeah, um, like when you go to Japan, it's just, you see, I remember going, when I went there once, just people would just be wearing it at the mall. Yeah. This is bef- totally. before any pandemic. Yeah. And I'm they like, sell them in, that's weird. They but. sell them in the combinis. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, there's like but. a general just defiance of ever, everything from Americans. It's just like a very individualistic, like selfish society. So people are like, no, fuck you. Like, I'm not going to wear my mask. It's like, all right, dude, well, I mean, but then, yeah, the government fails. And so everyone's just left to their own devices so i think that's why it's so bad here but it's like crazy that that's the only solution is just like all right everyone just needs to get vaccinated now like it didn't have to be this way i mean our culture is our culture and it's individualistic and it's like i'm not gonna have anyone tell me what to do Mm -hmm. do you think that could ever change or are we just this is just we just have to work within these parameters of how no one is wants to be egalitarian or I mean, you would think the pandemic would change it. You know, it's it's like if there's anything that would change the way that people act, it would be something like that. But it almost seems to have aggravated it in like the worst ways. Yeah, <laughs> there was that mis- there was a window of opportunity where it was like suddenly everyone realized that America was had kind of had failed. Yeah, as a collective unit, and then now it's it's more just back to that individual freedom, fuck you, kind of thing. But I mean, honestly, Doug, I think that it's there's sort of this weird counterbalance that happens where the more egalitarian type of discussions are being had, like maybe we should do this or this. There's like an equal and opposite reaction of like, well, that's communist. Mm -hmm. Like anything that's even remotely like that is like, that's, you know, that's communist. That's like Russia or that's like China. So it's like, there's all this, there's all these forces in the United States that shut down discussions like Mm -hmm. that or sort of, you know, meant to push back on them because, you know, I don't know if it's the cold war mentality or just how like, capitalistically driven we are but it's it seems like it's never going to get there just because of how much anti-communist sentiment there is like even a hint of resembling that is like is is seen as bad people even hate the post Um, office it's like why yeah i mean stupid shit like that yeah how (laughs) but (laughs) how do we change it but we don't it's just that's how it's going to be forever just got to live your life we we don't we just gotta we just gotta run out this american experiment i guess and um enjoy it while it can let's get back to uh brent brent weinbach (laughs) uh, really quick because i mean i saw him i saw him perform stand-up comedy i think around the same time you must have seen him doug like it's 2005 ish in san francisco and i mean he was definitely one of the most unique comedians i had seen at, at that time and i was like wow this guy is extremely weird i just remember like coming away with that um and like just seeing his stuff in the sketches you guys have done together in Poundhouse, on the and on on the podcast he's actually like not 
you know, he's not on in the same way that he is in the sketches. Like he seems relatively <laughs> normal, but like his his ability to like drop into these crazy accents that sound like super realistic. Has he ever done anything with you like in public? Is he the kind of guy to like try to fuck with people in public when you're around him by just like dropping into a crazy accent and like just trying to <laughs> mind fuck someone? Has that ever, does he ever do anything like that? He doesn't really, that's not really his, his vibe is to like <laughs> okay. screw with people in public. But I think, I think one time, I think we were in Seattle or doing a show or something. I think he did. I, 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 it's a faint memory, but yeah, I, I was like, do order, order, order the food as this guy. <laughs> I just want to like, I just want to like, be, I'm your audience just watching it go down. It was funny. So you had to egg him into it. I egged like him that, into it, I think. Okay. I mean, and it seems like on your own show, Poundhouse, you're not really, like you only credited for editing two episodes. Is that, is that right? Like, did someone else edit most of those? No, I edit all of them. Okay. I guess because why the, your the information credits is, only list. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Fair. You're not up to yeah. date, dude. You gotta update. I gotta your get IMDb. on there. You know, I gotta get a picture. I gotta get IMDb Pro, and I gotta get verified. Is that what people yeah, in LA do? Is that this do. a dis- disaster? You have a, you have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I don't know. I just I I never messed with IMDb. I just assume someone else is gonna fill it out for me. But yeah, unfortunately, right, yeah, someone filled it out for me with the Gaza Fights for Freedom stuff, and it was all just like Zionist like trolls that just like downvoted it. I was like, ah, fuck, beat me, beat, it, beat me to the punch. Oh Wish I God. did my own shit. Got to get on. Yeah, that, if someone's dude. listening to this right now, someone please go into Doug's IMDb page and properly yes. fill out all the credits. Yeah, fill out the annotations. Do Doug justice. Give him credit. Yeah, for put his my goddamn put a nice work. photo of me up there. So people yeah. see, oh, yeah, him. nice headshot. I'll hire nice him little for a thing. Yeah. <laughs> for a feature length film. Yeah, I'll hire him as my lead, my romantic lead. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> Office Hours, the show that you do with Tim and Vic Berger every week. Because when I started listening to it at the beginning, there were so many technical fuck ups that I couldn't tell if it was intentional because Tim would get so mad. Like, like for example, the Skype calls coming, it was like, doon, doon. like over and over again and interrupting Tim and he would just be like screaming and I couldn't tell if you guys were doing that on purpose because now it seems like it's much more smoothed out but um talk about how office hours happened in the first place and like when Vic came on board was he just moving in on your drop zone or what like what the fuck you have another drop guy coming in and and undermining everything that Doug's doing Yeah, were you guys like, uh, was it like you, was Tim like pitting you against each other? Or was Vic like on the pecking order? Like, on I the don't really round? remember. I, <laughs> you know, I, I, t- it was Tim's show. He did it by himself for a while. And then he asked me to come in as, as far as I remember. And I already, I did drops on a podcast like 10 years ago called The Champs with Neil Brennan and Moshe Kasher. Mm-hmm. So I had all these drops and that's what I did on that podcast. So then, I don't know, I was talking to him about it. I'm like, I should come on and I'll just do drops during your show. And then it was sort of like this just fun thing. I would just come to the office once in a while. And then I couldn't make it one week. And I think he was like, I'll have... Then he couldn't live without me. And I think (laughs) Vic was on the scene. And he was like, I'll have Vic substitute for you. And I'm like, uh... (laughs) He's going to outshine outshine me. And he's going to get the gig. (laughs) No, then I came back and it was like, Oh, you guys are, should both do it. And then he just said off the top of his head, you're the Holy Trinity. So then, 
then next thing you know, we're the Holy Trinity. And uh, the, as far as the technical problems, those were not intentional. Tim hates them. <laughs> but <laughs> Tim knows how to make anything funny and lean into any problem. So it also became, you know, he just made it funny. So he made it work either way, whether there were problems or not. But yeah, the bings and the bongs, we were driving us nuts. <laughs> and to this day, to this day, it's not perfect because it gets more advanced. And now there's like several cameras and like there's, there's right. Zoom callers and this other phone call. And like, yeah, I mean, there, there's a huge new mixing board. And it's <laughs> the more technical it gets, then there's more opportunity for problems. But it's pretty much smoothed out now. But it seems like... uh it would be really hard because if you're already like, I mean, I don't know how long it takes you to find this shit. It seems like it's instantaneous, but how do you and Vic like work that out? Is it just like an unspoken thing? You're just like, I got this one, dude. Like how does that, I mean, how are you guys like not over each other's drops? I, I still don't really get how that works. Well, we Drowning are a lot. Out each other. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, sometimes we are, but I think the more we work together, the more we're like in sync and we kind of like, mm-hmm you know it takes a second to like cue something up or to like look for the right drop that you want and if the other guy has one going you don't you kind of lean back for a second and then wait for your turn or something i think that's what we're um that's where we're at now i I wanted to ask you a gear gear question doug i see that vic is using like software to do his drops are you a software guy are you like on a hardware when you're doing those drops what's your preference or did you do be a white boy summer? <laughs> <laughs> um, That's the answer. No, yeah, Vic. So I was just using the Finder, and I had like thousands of drops, like in a folder, and I would just like hit. I would just like search the one I want, hit the space bar, and then it would play. But okay. I, but then I brought my uh, Chaos Pad in, into the scene, and I was putting like crazy reverbs and delays and looping, you know, and just making it more of like crazy sounding noise show drop thing and i had an extra chaos pad i like lent it to vix and then we're both doing double chaos pads but then he was like i got this so we would kind of like give each other little tips he he was like i'm using the software farago which i have now um so yeah so now i'm using um mostly this uh the software it's kind of like a soundboard software thing well, everyone should check out Office Hours. It's so goddamn funny. I can't recommend it enough. But um, and I love how like Vic is like <laughs> will like start talking and he'll just trail off like sometimes because he's just like I don't know. I feel like he's shy too. But I like how you're just super <laughs> deadpan. Um, but I also saw you doing uh, some pretty complicated housework for Tim, slaving away putting <laughs> concrete <laughs> stairs in his house. Uh, do you? Does he? Are you just? an errand boy sometimes for him or you guys hang outside of work or what we all can grow and we all can learn (laughs) the pounding the pounding (laughs) um no i we're work we're you know we're working on the studio they were gonna they were redoing the studio putting the soundboard in this other it's it's a converted garage so we're putting the soundboard in this other this other side room and there were the stairway that was in there was just like kind of like this piece of plywood stacked up on a rock or something. And I was like, I, I could pour. A, I, I, I've been I've been playing around with concrete lately. Uh, 
my own house and I was like, I'll, I just volunteered. I was like, I'll, I'll make a step. So then that's how that you happened. It looked good. I like doing stuff like, like that. Step. I mean, when you're in front of the computer a lot, it's really fun to just go in your garden and, or pour, mix up some concrete and do stuff like that outside working with your hands. I mean, did you build your little skate park outside? I did a little bit of that, but that was too advanced. I had to hire some guys, but I, I, I designed it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I like, I mean, I, sometimes I think if I had to walk away from the entertainment biz, I would do something outside. Who knows? Working in, um, as a, a forest ranger or something. Sounds because great. It, it's, it's at the end of the day, after you're carrying around bags of concrete, you feel like you did something and you feel so sad. That's like the most satisfying feeling working outside all day. And then you come home and then you, you lay on the couch and you're like, I deserve dinner now. <laughs> I earned yeah. it. You know what I mean? Hard labor, dude. Yeah. No, yeah. there's nothing more like sense. satisfying than actually working with your hands that not slipping away to a computer. Like actually. Yeah. Like, they they should dirty. have a, a, there should be a way to do po- podcasts where every time you ask a question you like lift up a brick or something <laughs> so you kind of get that kind of get or like a heavily heavy laptop you have to walk around with yep dude just look at the laptops from fucking t- I, I found an old laptop of mine it was like 30 pounds i'm just like damn dude yeah you gotta start Ridiculous. you gotta strap it on your body kind of like a marching dr- uh, <laughs> band drummer yeah <laughs> walk around like that or like those old cigarette sales salespeople. Oh, there you go. Walk around exactly. in the, the speakeasies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I was th- I was thinking that would be that back in the day when they didn't have Zoom recorders. That was like the only way I, I could pr- uh, picture doing like live like field recording. <laughs> like into a laptop, you know, walking with one of those things around. I thought that would be pretty cool. That would be awesome. But Doug, you also have produced and released a lot of music not just for these various shows that you've worked on, but also just like solo releases. You have a band camp page. You have looks like six full length albums under your solo alias. And I also noticed you use a relatively obscure Aphex twin track, uh, Phoenix funk five and a really old <laughs> like skiing video <laughs> or snowboarding video that you had on YouTube. So <laughs> you did tell me, you're going you deep in the ignore- crates, man. Yeah, <laughs> you did it. And I don't know if this is if this is supposed to be public information or not, Doug. So if it's not, uh, I could take this out. But um, you you did admit to me that you made some IDM back in the early days. And you used to listen to a lot of it as well. Is, there, is it true that you have a record or IDM music uh, somewhere out there? And if so, can we hear it? This interview is over. please cut this out no i love idm um do i have some oh you know i was gonna send you some stuff i have you were i yeah i mean i have it depends what you consider idm i have like a lot of weird (laughs) stuff from back in the day i could send you some tracks i used to i mean that's how that like that's kind of like how everything that i do now came together into what I do. Like I would make like glitchy music and I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like Aphex twin, you know, I wanted to like totally make 
electronic music and be known for that. But then I didn't really know what I was doing. But then I kind of like I applied that aesthetic to like comedy in a way. You know? Totally, yeah. Um, and then it worked pretty well. So I yes, I do have some stuff I would consider IDM big big time. Big. Time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, but I, I I have a new song out called March of the Ding Dings. You should check out with my little side project group called the Three Year Olds. Oh sweet. Okay, I didn't even <laughs> know you had a side project called Three Year Olds. <laughs> Is this on Bandcamp? Um, I don't have a lot on. It's not on Bandcamp. I should probably do okay. Bandcamp's probably more of a ethically sound choice, but that's on Spotify and everywhere else. That generic, you can listen to music. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, I look forward to your Christmas beats. Put yeah, Christmas they, album. They did a couple Christmas, couple Christmas. Yeah, that's kind of the sad thing. Is like, if you go to Spotify, it's like the most played songs are like Christmas songs. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Actually. Dude. <laughs> yeah some people some random like um some moms out there like searching for christmas songs <laughs> yeah they got they, you know they get into those they got they get into the playlists so oh no know, way they get the most plays oh that's, that's hilarious that's actually pretty cool but i could see that also being frustrating i i was able to find the earliest thing i was able to find with your musical credits on it was a compilation from 1997 called Lumptronic. Now, <laughs> did you? What did you contribute to these? This song, this song that's on this compilation. It seems like it's it's categorized as breakbeat, acid, and down tempo. So was this like sort of at the beginning of your musical trajectory, or what? At what point was this? Did this happen when you started making music? Yeah. So to circle back, I said there's a magazine called Lumpen, that's mm. sort of a um, political super left magazine but it also has like cultural things low very local chicago kind of thing you would love this guy edmar who who runs that um but i digress but yeah i think that was the first time anything i ever made got put on a cd um and that was just experimenting with like my friend played drums and then i ran through a delay and then i had like a sampler and I just sampled some weird stuff and just kind of made this like vibey track. I wouldn't call that like IDM. I don't. Yeah, that was just like early experimenting with a four track or something. Okay, cool. Yeah. Flexible. I'll send flexible it to you. Products. I'll send you those. I'll yeah, send, please. Oh, yeah. That was Flexible Products. My That was a group that we had, Flexible Products, which I think is a really cool name. <laughs> please send us the music, please. Send you the music. I mean, uh, I'm embarrassed to send it to anyone, but I think maybe Robbie might like it. I, yeah, please, please. Or maybe Abby might like it if it runs in the family. Does, are you an EDM family? EDM? Kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm more EDM <laughs> than IDM, but... I'm sorry, I like IDM. IDM, I forgot. <laughs> IDM. Yeah, no, I, of course. This is a terribly awkward question, Doug, so feel free not to answer this, but <laughs> I've been curious... Because your style of humor seems to like run through almost all of your work, including your music. And I'm just, and given that you have done these, you know, this track on an earlier compilation, and, and I've sort of found that, I wondered if you have like a separate mode of working that you don't consider funny when you're doing music. Do you to this day, like right now, you know, when you're releasing more of this funny music, do you also work on like more serious music that you're not releasing? 
and sorry to bring up Tim again, but he seems to have sort of moved into this space of doing like music seriously, whereas yeah. like it seems completely earnest. And I'm wondering if you have a, a musical trajectory like that, or if you don't even really see a separation between those two. Like if if some of that music is serious for you. Um, uh, awkward, no, no, funky I, question. That's, that's an interesting question. Um, and that's a legit question. And you've, you've done some great research here. And <laughs> uh, no, for sure. I have, I mean, that early, that early stuff was like, I, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if the word serious, it's not funny. You know, it's just, I just tried to yeah. make cool music, you know, it's not like, yeah, totally. there's nothing like too humorous about it. Really. I just tried to make like interesting experimental music, you know, and I definitely have a lot of stuff that's not humorous. I think I have this one called the body tight workout, which is like a workout tape, which is definitely humorous, but it's has an A and a B side. The A side is all just workout music with me talking over it. And you're, you know, Mm -hmm. walking you through some regular workouts and some silly stuff like crawling around on the floor and stuff. But then the B side, that's where it gets serious. You could check out the B side of the body tight workout, and it's more of like a, a chill out, like post workout, like ambient, um, prettier kind of thing that I tried to do. And that's like, of all the music I've released, the B side of that album so far is something that I I maybe uh, think is the best. Whoa. So, yeah. Oh wow! Okay, Where can I was we actually get that? just listening to the A side of that on Bandcamp. I didn't, oh, I didn't sick. get it. Yeah, you got to keep going. You're, you're probably listening to the A side. Like, okay, I get it. It's a goofy, it's goofy, jokey workout stuff. Forget it. Now you got to skip to the B side. <laughs> skip to the B side. <laughs> Is that one released on cassette too? That was on cassette. That was originally supposed to be a cassette uh, project. Um, then after it's out on cassette for a while we went digital, but that's on Spotify and um, I bet that's, that is on Bandcamp as well. Nice. I saw a couple of your stand-up shows here in LA at, like you said, you're like, you know, you use the drops and stuff to do your set, but moreover, you're like the one hosting the show and bringing together all the comedians. Uh, do you like doing this? I mean, are live performances where you are the center of them fun or are they kind of nerve wracking? And do you plan to do more of this? The very like uh it's a real like love hate relationship with with live performances um mm-hmm. the way i do it i don't just i'm not like a regular stand-up or i can just walk come with nothing and just walk up to the mic and do my thing i have to like sound check yeah br- bring my gear because that's just like what i do i guess um i've done things with no gear and just told my jokes but <laughs> I want it to be really, you know, I want it to be like noisy and like I want to do my thing. So so it's a pain in the ass sometimes. I don't you know, I don't feel like doing it. I got to get there early. I got to s- stay late to tear down. Um but after I do it, I do feel like you get this high from like the adrenaline and the mm-hmm. you know, performing and if especially if you do good uh so yeah, it's this like kind of catch twenty two, or I kind of it's this pain, but then I like 
it feels great after <laughs> it's like going to the gym or something where like yeah i don't want to go and then afterwards you're you're full of endorphins and you're like this feels lifting great. bricks yeah lifting bricks yeah. yeah i mean it's good i found out about a lot of great obscure comedians through those shows um, so i hope you keep yeah coming. but yeah i mean the ones that i hosted are that's another thing where it's like i don't want to just host a show and just kind of like I wanted to put, I want to put a lot of work into it mm-hmm. and I want it to be good. I don't want to just book some people and be like, Hey, the next comedian is this. I want it to be like this great show. So then yeah. I'm torturing myself, you know, putting it all together, making videos that are just, I kind of like just show that one night, you know, kind of like one off bits and there's like a lot of work put into it. So I'm like torturing myself, but then I'm after at the end of the night, I'm like, that was a kick-ass show. That was awesome. I gotta do this every month. And then, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, and like fuck, the three weeks leading up to it, I'm like, it's this chore hanging over my head. Like I gotta <laughs> do all this work. Uh, so I do want to do it again, though. Yeah, no, it's definitely amazing. Definitely paid off. Definitely <laughs> yeah, it sounds off like you them. have. Sounds like you just have pretty high standards for how you want a show to go off watching an episode of pound house recently which i somehow missed and you're going on like a stand-up comedy tour and you have like a gig in someone's house and then tim keeps bumping you until you play at the very end where you're not performing to anybody it's like the room's completely empty (laughs) and i'm wondering if is that based off of like any experience you actually had or almost like a fear or like a fear of doing shows because even just watching it even though it's funny it was like actually very uncomfortable because it reminded me of like some you know terrible show experiences i've had where like i kept you know i got bumped and played to like an an empty room and shit like that's happened to me was that based on any real experience for you (laughs) or uh the bumped (laughs) thing that's something i don't really think that's happened to me too much it's something you hear about like for people that do regular comedy shows at like the comedy store or something, which I've done a mm-hmm. couple times, but I don't really, I guess that scene isn't really my scene, but you hear about it. Like I got bumped cause Chris Rock came and then he did a half an hour. Like you just hear about these stories. So yeah. I just thought, I, I mean the, the whole gag there is like Tim forces me to go to, to an open mic and then we can't find it. <laughs> and then the whole time I'm, <laughs> I'm making jokes driving around and then he uses all my jokes and then he bumps me <laughs> and then I don't even get to he like forces me to do a show then he like makes me go last and then he does my jokes I mean you get it <laughs> it made me uncomfortable and like feel stressed out like when I performed a bad <laughs> show before yeah I mean that's the part that was that it, I do have experience with is like doing a bad show an awkward set where the crowd doesn't laugh and then it kind of snowballs and gets worse and it's like awkward. Um, yeah. yeah. So that part is from that part is from real experience for sure. Well, Doug, I can't let you go without talking about politics. Of course. I mean, obviously you're paying attention to how fucked up everything is. If you heard of media roots radio in the first place. So why do you like media roots radio? Why do you like listening to it sometimes? And like, what, why are you interested in politics? What made you interested in the first place? I like Media Roots Radio. I listen to just about every episode. Um, wow. I think you guys are... It's, I'm trying to find a 
way to explain it, but like I'll listen to like David Pakman or, you know, people that are kind mm-hmm. of progressive and left and stuff. And you guys are like, you kind of like, you criticize everything hardcore. You're he'll, he'll be like, Oh, Biden did this and that's a good thing. And you guys, you guys would just be like, Biden sucks. too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you guys are more, uh, hardcore. It's like, this is the real shit right here. This is the most hardcore. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, dude. Like yeah. you guys are absolutely uh, less uh, you're with any side, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, sure. You just call it like you see it about everything and you kind of like, you get deeper, I think with, first of all, I was worried about coming on here because I thought we were going to talk politics and I don't, I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know how to articulate it. But I just like to listen to it and absorb it. But I don't know how to like, yeah. or you know, there's so much to know that I right. kind of just like I'm just trying to learn. I think that's how we all feel, though. Honestly, like I don't know shit. I, I like your show because really yeah, I think Abby, I think I heard you on maybe Duncan's show or something, and yeah, you were just bringing up things and perspectives that I hadn't really heard before. And I just thought it was interesting. And you're, you know, you're getting into different little corners of things that I didn't know were happening, such as, were you down in Venezuela? Yeah. And, um, yeah, like the stuff that's, that you're doing in Palestine and stuff like that. Like, I just hear about these other things that, you know, no one else is talking about, which I I appreciate. That's very cool. We'll give it to you straight, Doug. Yeah, you're giving it to us yeah, straight. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's like you're a lot of people are like they'll defend the left, and you're like the left sucks too. And you, I don't know. You kind of have you're giving it to us straight. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I totally. guess. That's, well, thanks for the kind words. Yeah, we, we're gonna use that as yeah. a promo. We're gonna use. I that. hope I articulated yeah. that correctly, but I think you know what I'm trying to get. We're at. just gonna use it raw as our promo. Yeah, right. <laughs> Unedited. <laughs> <laughs> unedited. <laughs> um, so I guess I mean yeah, the Duncan Duncan show is great because he it, he's really smart, but he's also fucking hilarious. But um, yeah, I mean you can get such a broad range of perspectives and like philosophies from listening to him and stuff. So were you just like in that whole circuit and universe, and then you came across politics that way, or were you always kind of paying attention? You know, because you were we're all around the same age, like. You've, you know, the nine eleven, <laughs> you know, nine eleven, <laughs> the Iraq war and <laughs> all that crazy shit. Well, and your news package editor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Be giving you some kind of political insight. Yeah. Too, so I just, th- I just knew, I mean, without really knowing, I just instinctively knew that the way things were was like bullshit, you know, like yeah. <laughs> maybe it, go- it probably goes back to the news package. Right. It probably goes yeah. back to seeing, to, to, to being in a youth group in high school and then finding out somebody that I looked up to is a complete like fraud or something like that. Like just realizing like not to, I don't know, just that a lot of things are bullshit and then kind of being pissed off about that, like having some kind of angst about that and then kind of looking deeper. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned the Lumptronic uh, compilation I was on. That was like those people when I was in Chicago were very political and I would kind of like see what they're, they're up to and then the the real world the mtv show was in chicago and then 
they're like, we're going to go protest that. And I'm like, why? And they're like, <laughs> because they're, they're, they're co-opting our, 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 our artistic little neighborhood and the corporate media. And I was like, oh, yeah, the corporate media. And then, like, you know, I just slowly learn. They were on the cutting edge. Yeah, yeah man. And then, yeah, and then, like, 9-11 happened. And I swear to God, like, I guess this is a show I can say this on. But, like, when I saw that. <laughs> I was at, at work at that job where yeah. we did the 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 GI Joes and I it was like on this everyone had it on this all the TV monitors had the news going. My first thought was like, we had this coming. We're screwing over somebody right. somewhere around the world, and they're probably doing this because we're screwing someone over. That was just like my thought in my head, and I didn't really know what. I don't know if that's true or or not, but I'm just that was my my first thought. So I think. I've always had the sense that like things aren't fair in the in the in the way that uh, government treats people and other countries and the war machine. It's all bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're on point about that. The war machine's bad, and I know that. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, right after that, when they went, uh, they're like, "We're gonna go to the. We're gonna go." start the Iraq war or was that the Afghanistan one? No. Yeah. First Afghanistan, then Iraq, but it was all bad. Yeah. I went and I joined the marches cause I was like, this, this is not the right answer. This is bullshit. I just, I just, I don't know. That's is that's as that's much awesome. as I know. That's awesome. I mean, you're, you're surrounded by, I mean, Tim and Vic are very politically oriented too. So that, you know, probably helps also. Yeah, it's interesting, Doug, because you, I mean, you don't seem to like want a virtue signal or sort of wear your politics on your sleeve like a lot of other people who sort of are part of the Hollywood. I'm not, not saying you're part of the Hollywood scene, <laughs> the Hollywood but elite. like celebrity, the, the impression I get of like a lot of LA Hollywood politics is people are very into sort of the woke thing. They want to act like they're sort of more liberal than everybody else. There's just sort of this pervasive mentality like that, but you seem pretty chill about it and you're not like into posturing. And I find that, I guess, admirable because like refreshing. you just sort of, yeah, like I get the sense that you just call it like you see it as well. And you're not like interested in, you know, sort of strutting around your, your politics and like bragging about, you know. Like most celebrities, you know, <laughs> again, I'm calling you celebrity. Like most <laughs> most people you know, who are into politics now, who are like in show business, would not be able to say they were part of the first, you know, Iraq war protests, yeah. you know, for example. So like, I wasn't even at those. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your response to this sort of woke era of Hollywood and how you've seen that evolve. Because like, it, it seems like it really, it has, it really exploded in like the last several years. And it seems to sort of define a lot of entertainment, even award shows now and like, what has been your perception of that? Just as like a white guy in Hollywood. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, <laughs> well, about the woke thing, huh? Yeah, as far as like being too virtue signaling and stuff, I think, I don't think the answer is to just be like, starting these like pissing contests where you're just like calling people out mm-hmm. yeah, and being like, cause that doesn't really solve anything. 
and it doesn't change anyone's mind, yeah, all it does is maybe make people who like you like you more or something. You know, I like to hear what other people have to say. If somebody is a Trump supporter, which I completely can't relate to, and I have family mm -hmm. members who are, I do want to be like, okay, well, why? What's, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to just be like, you're an idiot. You know, you're a Nazi. Yeah, you're a Nazi. <laughs> you're an idiot. Like that, that doesn't do anything. All it does is divide everybody more. My thing is like, okay, well, why did you come to that conclusion? I would like to know why. And maybe mm -hmm. we can find some, some middle ground. Cause I actually had a, I had a interesting conversation, like a long conversation with some family members recently who are, they watch, unfortunately, Tucker Carlson and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it get, it can get emotional, but I try to just keep it cool and just sort of be like, well, kind of keep breaking it down. And then eventually you come to some common ground where it's like, we both kind of agree like on these basic things, you know, instead of being totally. like, you're an idiot. Like, I don't like to, I just don't like that vibe. That's just not my vibe. I don't, I don't know. I don't really consciously think about it, but it's just, yeah. when I hear Trump talk, it makes me violently ill. <laughs> <laughs> just like his, his tone. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. fully completely hate like, I think he represents like the worst part of American culture. Like, you know what I mean? Like for sure. Like, and there's this condescending way he talks and anyway, I don't, what was the question? The woke, the whole woke thing is. Well, I guess, I mean, maybe, maybe you can relate to this better. Like in the comedy scene, just in the comedy scene, even in LA, it seems like there's like been this extreme polarization where it's like, like it's, I get this impression that everyone who's part of the LA comedy scene is sort of like more likes to display their wokeness. And there's this like this New York comedy scene where it's like, they're all anti PC. And I'm, has that, have you encountered that? Like, what is that? Or, or do you mostly just stay completely out of that crap? <laughs> um, it makes me want to think, it makes me want to take the side of the the people that are of offensive because mm -hmm. uh, it's just like if it's funny, it's funny. You're gonna you're gonna maybe always offend somebody, or it's hard to sure. explain. But it's like you give me a case by case basis. Sometimes the person is like a racist piece of shit or a problematic person, but sometimes. If somebody makes a joke on Twitter or they get their joke dug up from 10 years ago, it's like, get the fuck out of here. What are you going to cancel? They're canceled now? Like, yeah, I, I hate yeah. that. That's what I yeah. definitely don't like. And I think, I think people shouldn't be walking on eggshells and scared to say something because it might um, get them canceled or something when they're just trying to joke around. And then yeah. when people start doing that, then the people who, the New York style people will like double down on their end. And then the woke people will like double down on their end. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't like that trend. I don't like, I don't like in general, a lot of that, like um, policing what people can say and what, what's funny. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not into that.
And you know what? Privately, a lot of these people that are like woke, you should look at their like chats. Right. Look at the stuff oh, God, that yeah. they're saying to each other. Or the stuff they said to me. So years hypocritical. Ago, yeah, they try of course. To yeah. To be woke now. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. culture was A lot of my totally comedian different. friends and I, we unleash and we like just say offensive stuff because it's funny and it's because it's like it was wrong, you know, like now we can like secretly make fun of <laughs> some something, you know, because it's kind of like the repression of the church is going to make mm-hmm. you more of a, like a sexual freak later in your life. Or you know what I mean? It's like that kind <laughs> of thing. No, if you're totally... being repressed, then you're going to like, it's going to, yeah, it's going to come back later or something. Totally. Yeah. There's a, there's a, it, it definitely creates a, this effect of being, things being taboo makes people want to lean into them more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just human nature. So like, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. It's just, I guess it's for me, look, you know, just being a comedy fan, it's definitely irritating to see sort of the the anti-PC people kind of holding that as like this badge of honor and turning that into like this political position rather than just, you know, sort of the way you're putting it, Doug, which is more like, you know, what's funny is funny, you know, just this more simple universal approach. Instead, it's almost become this like this political thing in of itself. And Absolutely. It's, yeah. Yeah, you like why do you have to why does this have to be political if you're just trying to make people laugh? Like yep. you like not everything has to be political. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the more politics in this style of comedy, I think only very few people out there can mix the two effectively. It's like the more political some of these regular stand-up comedians become, the less funny they become. Almost like the, not it doesn't even matter which side of the political spectrum it's on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and then also it doesn't really it doesn't really help any cause. If you're doing it yeah. in a way to, where it's like I'm going to stand up for what's right and make this joke about that, you're not really changing anyone's mind. No, you just come yeah. across holier than thou and actually turn yeah. people off of your work. You exactly. know, I feel like you're not like actually attracting more fans at that point. But I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. It's so refreshing to hear from you. Doug, uh, I appreciate well, you. <laughs> you very much. I appreciate all of your incredibly talented work. Your talents have shaped our generation. And I just hope that uh, people acknowledge that. They acknowledge how groundbreaking you've been. Real, well, recognized, you know, real, my friend. I appreciate you guys and the, the work you do and the incredible journalism you've done throughout the years. <laughs> We appreciate you, Doug. Thank you so much for taking <laughs> yeah, the time mutual. to come Feelings on mutual. Media Roots Radio. Hey, you yeah, know thank what? you, Doug. It's my favorite show. So, wow, that's mind blowing. Being a little bit hyperbolic, but I do listen to it every day. Mind blowing. <laughs> we're gonna use that. We're gonna use that. Plug Take as that well. sound bite. Use that drop throughout <laughs> the entire show. All right, Doug. Uh, thank you so much, dude. We really appreciate you coming on and keep up the great work. Peace. Yeah, thank you, Doug. And will you <laughs> will you leave us with just one drop to say goodbye? Will you please like me? <laughs> Does that work? Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Bye, Doug. Bye, bye. The outro track you're listening to is also by DJ Doug Pound, called Thermo, off of the Body Tight Workout which is available on Doug Pound's Bandcamp page, dougpound.bandcamp.com. 
And as always, if you liked what you heard on the Media Roots Radio podcast today, and you are not yet a subscriber to our Patreon for as little as $5 a month or per creation, you get access to one premium episode per month. And right now we have a series going as part of our premium episodes called the Freemasonic History of the United States. It's an extremely in-depth history podcast, and the series is already 30 hours long. So if you'd like to get access to that and more, sign up at patreon.com slash Roots radio. Thanks again. Take care.